Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Has criticizing Taylor Swift brought out the talons from feminists? I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. There's much to be said about her latest beau, Travis Kelsey. However, the controversy ensues surrounding if you criticize some people's girl, it doesn't go so well. Also, issue one in the state of Ohio is expected to set a precedence for state constitutional amendments. State constitutional amendments, which will be or will not be allowing for unfettered access to abortion similar to what passed in 2022 in California, Michigan, and Vermont. The thing is, though, we're called as Catholics to vote no on issue one if you're in the state of Ohio. And hey, you don't have to be in the state of Ohio to help out there. If you're not aware of issue one, you need to be. It would be a state constitutional amendment that would give unfettered access to abortion, cross-sex hormones, and so-called sex changes, along with puberty blockers, by the way, for minors without parents' knowledge. This is frightening. We will be joined by a frontline volunteer and advocate who is working tirelessly in Ohio to change the vote as Planned Parenthood and the greater abortion movement lies about what issue one is. On that, more in a little bit here on Trending. So stay tuned. We're posting links on social media as well as in the episode notes to what issue one is and information where I've covered it here on Trending helping you to be informed and also be prepared to get involved. So if you can't stay with us, please listen to that. It's very important. I was recently reading an article by Casey Chalk, who's with me now. He's an author as well as a well-known writer, wrote writing forever from The Federalist to many other great, great places to look at. Not just news pieces, but commentaries on society with a faithful perspective. Public discourse is where I recently read about Don Quixote and our Don Quixote youth. It's interesting. I read the book for the first time five to seven years ago, and I will be frank. It was one of those books I tried to force myself to finish, and finally more than halfway in, I couldn't stand it. I had no tolerance and was completely completely impatient with the main character, Don Quixote, just thought he was an absolute buffoon. And it's funny because when I read Casey Chalk, your post on Don Quixote comparing him to modern day youth, I realized I think it's because he is, he is exactly what the culture is lived out right now. And you gave a scathing comparison between Don Quixote and modern youth. Casey Chuck, welcome to Trending. I'd love to see the parallels. For those who and have and have not read Don Quixote, uh, talk to me or maybe share a little bit of his story for those who don't know Don Quixote's work. Sure. Thank you so much for having me on again, Timory. It's a real pleasure to be with you. Um, so Don Quixote really is one of the greatest uh, works of literature in the Western canon. 
course, uh, from Spain, Miguel Cervantes. Um, I did not realize this until I myself read Don Quixote earlier this year, but he was actually at the Battle of Lepanto, which mm-hmm. is from which we get the um, the Catholic feast day of Our Lady of the Rosary. So he, he fought faithfully there, had a really remarkable life, um, certainly made his fair share of sinful decisions as well. He had a child out of wedlock, but he's most well known for um, Don Quixote, which it, like you like you said, Timory, it is a massive work. It is uh, it is not for the weak of heart, um, but tells the story of a lesser nobleman um, in Spain who has basically read all of these uh, works of romantic fiction regarding chivalrous men going out and you know fighting monsters and uh, and other evil characters in order to win glory for himself and honor uh, you know, a damsel in distress and whatnot. Um, but uh, this, this is all in his imagination. Probably people, if they're familiar with Don Quixote at all, they're familiar with him tilting at windmills, thinking that uh, some windmills are giants that need to be <laughs> defeated. But there are plenty of other stories like that in the book, basically all because he had deluded himself um, into thinking that, one, he was this great, courageous knight, but two, that all of these various people and things that he encounter on his uh, trips across rural Spain are, um, are things that they're not. Um, because, uh, yeah, he, he more or less has created his own fictional reality and, uh, and causes a lot of problems. I mean, it's, there's, there's obviously a comical component to Don Quixote, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of uh, terrible grief that he causes uh, on, for other people um, because, of his, uh, because of his delusions. And I think that's kind of what made me somewhat impatient with him. I just kept saying, this guy's an, an absolute buffoon. I just can't. I would try so hard. And so many people say, it's a great work. It's so funny. I couldn't even find it funny, Casey. And again, that's just my sense of humor as well. But I think, again, it was part of just the sign of the culture and the men that we interact with. So compare some of the things you see that are similar between the person of Don Quixote and modern day men, especially young men. Yeah, so that was one of the things that I pulled out from reading this um, great work of fiction is that Don Quixote had gone deep into this other world through um, this romanticized chivalrous fiction. And I suddenly realized that a lot of young men in contemporary society are more or less doing the same thing. Of course, they're not they're not getting their delusions from um, these chivalrous stories, but they're getting them from uh, spending hours on end in social media by um, consuming pornography, by playing video games, etc. All of these are more or less the same thing, um, just in a different form than uh, in comparison to what uh, Don Quixote has done, which is just entering into a fictionalized world and then thinking in some way that you actually are... Um, in this kind of like alternative reality, right? So I see this all the time when I, when I, the rare times where I go on social media, uh, young men in particular are kind of posturing and trying to present themselves as tough and strong. Um, when in reality, many of them are, you know, living in their parents' basement or other such things um, and aren't really actually, you know, living out a, a life of strength and courage, but they're more or less, you know, kind of stuck um, in this kind of dehumanizing alternative space, alternative reality. Um, so that kind of resonated with me reading Don Quixote that he kind of, in many respects, is is the same person as many of our quixotic, um, confused, delusional youth. I was reading some of the lines from your article, and we'll post a link to it on social media. You talk about the self-righteous in 
incapable element of receiving criticism in many young men today. And I think this isn't just young men, it's young women as well, but how desperate young men are for praise. So there's this like feeding on and just gulping up of praise. But then at the same time, that rejection of anything that could even slightly critique them uh, to turn them almost into mopey boy or a harsh individual if there's anything that kind of pricks at their ego today. Yeah, and I think some of that probably has a lot to do with the crisis of fatherlessness in American yes. society is that yep. when young men don't have um, strong, capable, virtuous fathers or father figures in their life, then they are going to be desperate for that attention, desperate for that affirmation. And if they're not getting it from someone who loves them um, and is encouraging them and, and helping them to grow up and, and assume responsibilities as men, then they're going to look in these kind of skewed, twisted places in order to get it, like social media, like pornography, like video games, that can give them at least momentarily a sense that they are somebody important, someone who's valued. Um, but like I argue in the book, what, what, what I think is necessary is more or less the same thing that some of Don Quixote's friends and family, what they do, which is they go and they find all of these romantic books that Don Quixote has spent hours on end, sleepless nights reading, and they burn them all. Um, and sometimes that's maybe what's necessary when it comes to things like social media or video games. I haven't played a video game in, good Lord, more than 10 years. I'm very grateful for it. I've been able to spend my time doing many other things that are far more beneficial for myself and my family. So I think that would be one thing I would encourage for young men is that these kinds of activities that create alternative realities but also just kind of weaken and, and dehumanize us, um, just to, to put them aside and pursue other things that actually will um, – build character, help us to grow in faith and virtue, and uh, and actually give us a strong sense of confidence in our own ability as men to go out and, you know, do great things and conquer the world. Mm. One of the things, and by the way, this is a total spoiler, so forget it if you read it and just enjoy it in the end. Um, so spoiler alert, if you plan to read Don Quixote, um, he has a deathbed conversion, and you share about this in your article as well. And one of the things that he regrets is that he begs the forgiveness of Sancho Panza in having drawn him in to the madness that Don Quixote himself was living. And I thought that was significant because I find two things. One, deathbed conversions are extremely rare. And we'll be talking about St. Alphonsus Liguori, and he viscerally kind of goes after that whole idea of deathbed conversions. Because I think a lot of people who have somewhat of a formation think like, oh, I'll get right with God later in life, just not right now. I want to do what I want to do. And Don Quixote really personifies, you know, getting all the things wrong in many respects from the culture we live in with the approach to women. You mentioned pornography and other things that you could read that into the story. So deathbed conversions are rare, but also the fact that a lot of people, I think in hindsight, when you clean up your life, you clean up your act, you get it together, you suddenly realize all of the many individuals that you've harmed along the way. And for this, I think it be, can be a great, great regret for men and a key part of many young men's stories when they have that conversion, not even necessarily a deathbed conversion. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I think that uh, it is a remarkable opportunity when uh, we get, we, when men do convert in Certainly there's like the great conversion, the religious conversion of turning towards God, but even all the mini conversions that we have throughout our lives where we realize that we were really getting something wrong or there was some behavior or activity that um, 
that was keeping us from deepening on our relationship with the Lord. And when we have those kind of conversions, yeah, we do recognize a lot of the damage that we've caused along the way. And I think that's kind of something maybe that a lot of uh, kind of like listless and confused young men don't necessarily understand is that, yes, of course, they may be hurting people, like, you know, if they're insulting people on social media um, or if, you know, they're looking at pornography, like they're sort of complicit in the hurting of the men and women who are involved in that industry. But they're also hurting people in the sense of all of that time and energy that could, they could be investing positively to to benefit others, to love them, to serve them, to suffer for them. They're missing out on those opportunities as well. And so there is a sense in which there's a there's a there are so many lost opportunities to bless other people through their actions. So um, yeah, I think I would encu- I would encourage young men to think as well about you know it's not just the fact that you're hurting yourself with a lot of these um, sort of like inner uh, other dimension worlds that you engage in, but you're hurting all, all the people around you who are so desperately in need of your encouragement, your strength your uh your wisdom and virtue uh so it's sort of it's a challenge i would i would urge upon young men is think about those people that could benefit from your sacrifices that's casey jock here on trending with tim ray he's an author and writer of many articles including works on the federalists as well as public discourse i am curious to hear casey because you write a number of great articles addressing what's going on with men today. I know you have served this country overseas. What branch of the military were you in, by the way? I was a civilian with Department of Defense, not one of the armed services. It, your your background is diverse and that you also have this great theological formation as well. So it's not as if you're like, oh, this theologian here commenting on on what you think about what's happening in society, but you've lived it. You've been side by side with men um, fighting for what is true and what is good and for families and for the United States. And so I know one of the big things you mentioned that needs to change about the male culture today is quitting things such as video games. But what would you say are your top four things that are part of the solution in the anti to the Don Quixote male of today? Oh, well, I think certainly developing a more robust religious life. So getting involved in a religious community in a church that, um, you know, where you can grow in your faith, but also find places to serve. I think developing an intellectual life is really important. That's going to look different from everybody. I don't think that um, every man or, or, or Catholic woman is called necessarily to be an intellectual or a theologian. But certainly identifying something that will appeal to your intellect that you can grow that. Um, also, like just learning crafts. Uh, I talk about this very briefly um, in the article about Don Quixote, the um, work by Matthew Crawford more than a decade ago, um, Shopcraft as Soulcraft, I think is the name of the title of the book. And just a fantastic study and reflection on how um, shop class and just doing things with our hands can be so um, formative and sort of life-giving and renewing by participating um, in those kinds of, you know, more gritty activities. So I would encourage men to look for those um, kinds of opportunities as well. And I think they'll, in, in doing that, they'll actually find a lot of that, the real sense of confidence and purpose that the faux realities of video games and social media and, and porn um, offer. So those, those would be a, a few of the examples I would give for where I think men need to reorient uh, their time and energy. 
I think this is a great start and it gives you direction. If you find yourself floundering, not really sure where to go, maybe you're lonely, depressed, feeling isolated, need a career change, you're not alone. And I think that that's part of it. You have to have the humility to say, okay, maybe I should listen to some other ideas, try something new, try something uncomfortable. And I appreciate these concrete things. So quit the video games, develop a robust faith life, learn a trade. Even if that's not what you do for your job, learn it. What you do working with your hands, it really does form a character and we've lost much of the hands-on work that I truly do believe shapes men in perseverance and character and integrity of work. When you do something with your hands, you really do have the responsibility and a high, strong sense of integrity. I remember some years ago, a friend of mine who's worked in construction for years and he ended up working his way up the chain and top level manager. And he commented that there was a building, a number of buildings that he had helped build uh, like major uh, companies, companies, you know, I could not to name which business it was, but places such as a a giant supermarket or like a Target, something like that. And he commented that he was one of the higher ups in building this building and how there were certain things that he was being told to do to compromise and cut corners. And he said, I would never let my children or wife into some of these buildings that I've had my hand in building. And it just made me think at the time how I think that there's sometimes a big difference when you make a mistake or when you do something wrong, when you cut corners, when you do something unethical in the workplace today. It's different than when you do something unethical, say, when you're building a building where someone could walk into and how sometimes I think people justify a lot of things they do that are unethical, specifically men in the workplace today, because they're not aware of the hands-on side of the hard work it took to see the finished product, to see what needs to be done in order to sustain and and maintain that work of your hands. Oh, yeah. Well, I think in some respects, I suppose that has something to do with the fact that we live in a society where so much of what we have has been gifted to us. There's no longer, you know, a frontier of the West for men to go and explore and, and sort of, you know, build their own homestead or find their own way. Uh, so much of what we experience in life, I mean, we're <laughs> how many, almost all Americans are born into homes with central heating and running water and whatnot. And so a lot of these things are givens. And uh, I think that's part of the reason why getting to actually develop some knowledge, uh, you know, things to do with your hands, even being able to fix things around the house is kind of a, a reminder of, uh, you know, our connection to, uh, to to all of these things that we that we need to be able to to fix if, if they're broken. We uh, right now actually are living in Panama and um, we were without, there's big protests going on here. So there's a lot of stuff that's not, you know, not functioning properly. And we didn't have running water uh, earlier this week for, uh, for about 20 hours. And uh, it was like, oh my gosh, like, but it was, it was good. I think for my children to suddenly realize, wow, running water, something we just take for granted is actually something that is, uh, is, is a gift and, uh, and something that requires a lot of men to go out and work hard in order to make sure the pipes are working and all the rest of that. Um, so I think that the more that we sort of participate in a culture of, uh, you know, of actual like gritty hard work and, and learning trades with our hands, the more we're able to kind of participate in that reality. I find it interesting that you mentioned, Casey, the fact that we don't have people going out on the frontier, crossing the country, great into the unknown, into the West to build their life, to provide for a family, the risk and danger that was involved in it. It makes me think of a great book by the creator of 
the Jurassic Park series, Michael Kirchner, the book's called Dragon Teeth. 10 out of 10 recommend this book. Do check it out. It's, I think, a great example of just that masculine floundering combined with how adventure, working with your hands, the challenge of risk can transform a man and might be food for thought for new places to embark on in your life if you find that you are one of these Don Quixote men, as Casey Chalk pointed out in his recent article. Coming back with Casey Chalk, we're going to talk about how criticizing Taylor Swift has brought out the feminist mob, especially when it comes to her latest beau, Travis Kelsey from the Kansas City Chiefs. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Taylor Swift apparently broke the internet yet again this week with the news. Did you hear she's a billionaire officially now? Probably one of the most popular, famous, and rich women in the world. And she has been the center of a lot of conversation from her high school year breakups to today, she writes about the men she dumps or dump her. And the latest one, although they're still together, the latest bow is Travis Kelsey, the Kansas City Chiefs tight end. And it's interesting. I've heard a lot of comments on it. Everything from critique of Travis since they've been together, that Taylor is turning him into a beta male, to the fact that, hey, it's great news. Taylor's dating someone who's not her usual type. So much to be said, but it is interesting because I think that you may say, why are we talking about Taylor Swift? I don't care. I don't consider myself a Swifty. I do enjoy her music on occasion, but I think there's a lot to be said of what happens when there's a loyal fan and you disagree with feminist ideologies or when you disagree with a woman who's been one for the ladies and is super successful and so if you say anything to criticize her you are suddenly anti-woman joining me to discuss that now is casey chalk he's an author writer he has an article actually about this at the federalist casey welcome back to trending what do you make of the craze over the latest kelsey and swift relationship and the criticism if you critique dear taylor swift yeah, thanks for having me on again, Timory. Yeah, so like you, I really could, you know, more or less, I can care less who a Taylor Swift is dating, you know, from one year to the next, though I know that it does more or less give her all the uh, ammunition that she needs in order to get out her next, you know, hot album. Um, <laughs> but what I noticed um, in particular, just, you know, kind of scanning the media over the last month or so as Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey have had this budding romantic relationship is that there have been, like you said, a lot of people who have been critical of of Taylor because you know maybe they're that she's going to have some kind of negative influence on Travis Kelsey and what I noticed was that there was an immediate very uh, strong negative reaction to male criticism of Taylor Swift more or less for anything including you know my friend uh, Mark Hemingway who is one of the uh, another writer um, and uh, and you know popular uh, speaker he's on television a lot at the Federalist um, Mark wrote an article more or less just criticizing uh, Taylor Swift's music and basically saying, you know, it's not really all that great. Um, and uh, a feminist writer at the Washington Post, Monica Hess, responded to that article and just really like came out in force to attack Mark 
and uh, you know accuse him of being uh, anti-women and, and a misogynist and all these other kind of really nasty, terrible things. And I, they kind of got me wondering, why is it that criticism of Taylor Swift by men um, elicits such a strong reaction from a lot of women? And I think what it does demonstrate, along, and with many other examples that I cite in this article in The Federalist, is that as much as feminists, you know, going back many decades now, have said that what they really want, ultimately what they want is equality. They want equal treatment. I'm not actually persuaded that that's really the case, because Agreed. I think if that were the case, then, you know, criticizing Taylor Swift um, would not be any different than criticizing any male musician who's, you know, at the top of his game and, uh, you know, selling out concerts across the United States. Um, I think there is it, the, the fact that any criticism by men of whether we're talking female musicians or even female athletes or female celebrities, that it uh, provokes such a strong backlash from feminists, I think demonstrates that they that feminists actually do want women to be treated differently than mm -hmm. uh, than they want than they're willing to allow men to be treated. Absolutely, Casey. I agree with this. And there's actually a great study that came out. I think it was in 2017. And it was done by the University of Kent and Iowa State University, along with tons of research that came out. And it was interesting because the headlines basically said that women are hardwired to want sexist men. And what it really was, if you look at it, is women wanted chivalrous men, even staunch feminists who believe in a lot of things that don't jive with the type of men they're looking for, but they wanted special treatment. They wanted things such as provide, being provided for. They wanted the muscles. They wanted all those different things that modern day society says, hey, aren't really that important. But it was interesting because even if they wanted it, they still wanted the ability to work and fight for equal pay and have abortion, all of these things, but they still wanted it in their romantic partnerships, special treatment. I think that's kind of what intrigues me about the relationship between Taylor Swift and Kelsey is that in some respect, I think part of the obsession behind the scenes and I think this is why a lot of the feminists are speaking up about Taylor Swift and Kelsey is because people view Taylor Swift as America's royalty, basically. And here she is with a strong male who's not her normal type. She's usually more of a brooding, artistic uh, type. And I think people really do love idealistic stereotypes in relationships. They love that she spent time with his family. Like they're loving looking into this relationship that to them is idealistic, even if they're not living it out. Do you think people want to see this type of relationship? And that's part of the obsession and part of the visceral reaction if you criticize or promote it in any way? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think in the same way that certainly a lot of Americans are kind of obsessed with, um, the British royal family, which to me as a patriotic American, I have a hard time also fathoming why we care so much. But I think it is because we, <laughs> we want, um, you know, whether we're talking royalty or celebrities, we love to be able to kind of project upon um, these various people our own yearnings and desires for a certain kind of relationship. And I think that, you know, I think Taylor, her early music, um, which I, I think, frankly, is I think much better than the stuff she does now when she was more just pure country. I think Great. that demonstrates yeah. that kind of that that you know that um, that 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 desire for like a man to kind of like sweep her off her feet to someone to come and like fight for her 
and and suffer and sacrifice for her and take care of her. And of course, you know, now she's had, you know, more than a decade of this remarkable career where she's realized that she can she's the independent and strong woman. She doesn't need that. But yet here she is dating this big, strong football player who, yes, obviously has very much of a soft side. But I think still probably I would imagine many of her fans and maybe even Taylor Swift herself are still kind of yearning, like you said, Timory, for that chivalrous man who, yes, he's he's uh, he's strong. He um, pursues. But he's also kind of, yes, but he's pers- he pursues and he protects. Um, so I think, again, that points to this idea that as much as the feminist movement demands th- this idea of equal treatment to be treated exactly the same, they really don't. They I, I don't. And I, I cite other examples um, in the article, like I think female athletes is a great example of this, where, you know, when the U.S. women's soccer team just really miffed it, just, I mean, they underperformed and they really stunk it up in the latest World Cup. But if you read all of the responses from people from all the way from Jill Biden all the way down to all these sports commentators, it was, oh, well, the U.S. women's soccer team was courageous and what they did was wonderful. And they're such a great model um, for, for young girls everywhere. And it was just bizarre to read that thinking, well, you know, when men screw up in men in professional men's sports, there isn't like, well, you know, it was he really he was really courageous to miss that field goal. No, he stunk. And he's probably <laughs> going to get cut for the team because he. He made such a big mistake in a, in a moment of, of great you know, need by his team. So I, I think, again, that demonstrates the fact that really and truthfully, women do want to be treated differently, certainly by men, um, than, you know, they're, than they're willing to allow men to treat other men. There were a handful of lines in your, it's one of the last paragraphs, I think, in your article. And I thought this was Great, Casey. You start off, and we have to walk by a sentence through it, sentence by sentence, because it's so good. I'll just read a little bit. We can piece it apart. You say, feminists want women to be treated like men, except when they don't. Women must be recognized as the same as men, except they require special treatment that acknowledges and respects their inherent difference from men. Then you say, women are just as resilient as men, except when they need to be especially encouraged. Just... Give some examples for a moment of a couple of those statements, because I love to say that I'm a sexist. I think it really upsets people, but we are. If we believe in male-female differences, there should be deferential treatment, yet women are saying they don't want it, but actually they do. And if you don't, well, then you're considered sexist. Yeah, so I I cite this, you know, um, at a job I had recently, there was a big sign right when you came in the cafeteria. So, you know, anybody working there had to see the sign and it was like 10 ways that you can kind of like encourage and promote women in the workplace. And, you know, most of them, you know, they were fine. They're, you know, things like, you know, be nice and make sure you listen to them and whatnot. But there was definitely an emphasis on making sure that women feel like their voices are heard and that they feel like they have a place, a special place at the table. And I thought I, I thought that was just so odd that it would need to be said so explicitly as if women need to be treated with kid gloves um, in, in professional workplaces, as if they need to be especially told that their, their voice and their opinion is valued. Because, I mean, by way of comparison, you know, if, um, if my boss consistently came and told me that, you know, he valued my opinion and everything, I'd, you know, maybe the first time he'd say, like, oh, thanks, boss, appreciate that. But if he, con- he, he felt the need to consistently say that to me over and over again, I'd be like, come on, man, like, this is kind of patronizing. I don't know why you keep <laughs> treating me like this. Um, you know, or like, you might be questioning something else. <laughs> right. Right. Um, It's an interesting comparison, by the way, because that just shows how different men and women are in terms of their ego. Like, you do need the compliment, but, like, to continuously do so is patronizing versus women. It's 
the opposite. Not all women, but it is interesting. I think don't think any woman would consider that patronizing. Yeah, well, and just the fact that even a sign needs to be put up and told, uh, telling you know male employees how they need to act, you know how they need to treat women differently. <laughs> More, I mean, that's what's being communicated is they need to treat women differently than they treat male colleagues, um, which in and of itself just demonstrates that the, that the entire feminist um, mantra about equal treatment is entirely fallacious. Yes, isn't that true? I want to touch on a few more of your statements that you make in here. You say women are just as fearless and strong. Well, they claim women are just as fearless and strong as men, except they're grossly underrepresented in all the most dangerous and physically strenuous jobs. This is a great line, Casey, because here we are. We've heard this battle over a draft or the last few years, and I can't believe we're even having this conversation. If you even look at various branches of the military and how they've had to lower the standard and expectation for men versus women and just in general for different programs for women to compete and come into because they just can't keep up with the men. I'm sorry, but don't we want our service men and women to be able to protect themselves, but also to protect and stand for what they are called to in that position? I think it's terrible to lower standards that put women and men at risk along with the fact that they're fighting for other countries and ourselves at times. Oh, I agree 100% with that. And that is exactly true, that standards have had to be lowered, even, you know, for women who have tried to get into the most um, prestigious and competitive uh, parts of the U.S. military, from, you know, the Marines and Army Ranger School and all the rest of it, basically having to make all of these exceptions so that women can, you know, pass these tests. Um, it is very concerning. But also this puts, it, it, it's not just that it, w women are then being put at danger if they were to actually be in combat, but you're putting men in danger too, because men naturally, because of this, you know, chivalrous and protective impulse that they have, which is built into them biologically, um, you know, if they're in combat and a woman gets injured, they're naturally going to be Agreed. focused yeah, right. on protecting her and particularly ensuring that she gets out of there far more than they would any of their male, uh, yes. you know, uh, fellow combatants, um, which obviously is going to put missions at risk. Um, if there's this overemphasis on protecting particular people because they are viewed as vulnerable and in need of special care. Yeah, I think it is atrocious that we would put men and women side by side in any form of combat. Like you said, that natural born instinct of a man is to protect the woman side by side with him. And if you are telling him to shut that off, to shut off that natural protection, there's fundamentally something wrong. If we're at the point in society where we're saying don't protect women, and I have seen this, it has been interesting, and maybe it's not just because of the pro-abortion culture we live in, but even while pregnant, just the way chivalrous men are so polite when you're pregnant or when you have children and the way men who whether it's because of training or the culture have no sense of acknowledgement if perhaps someone might slightly be in need of help at a particular moment it, it intrigues me especially since i've had kids at the lack of honor and respect and i think part of this is that side-by-side -side constant competition where women dance to the tune that they can do anything men can do better yeah, it is unfortunate. Um, and it, uh, and it, yeah, it, I mean, it's sad, ultimately, because it, it's many opportunities lost, both for men and women, men to make sacrifices and suffer for the sake of the other sex and women, you know, thinking that they're this is going to be ultimately uh, to their benefit. But I mean, 
really, if women are equal in all ways to men, then they shouldn't be getting any kind of special treatment, whether we're talking, you know, nursing rooms for nursing at, uh, at their employers, uh, you know, time off to take care of their children. I mean, everything should be equal to men. But I honestly, like I said, I really don't think women really want that. And there are at least a, a lot of examples in contemporary society that demonstrate that truth be told, they really do want to be treated differently because of these natural qualities and characteristics they have, which God has given them, which are good and are not necessarily, for a woman to be physically weaker than a man is, is to not mean that she's lesser, that she has lesser dignity. It just means that God has created a world where men are, are called to step up and sacrifice and suffer and oftentimes give their life for the sake of, you know, wives, sisters, daughters, uh, whatever the case might be. And it's, uh, it's, it's, a sa- it's sad that we would want to refute that natural order of creation. Casey, I'm so grateful for your commentary on pop culture, on what's happening, and giving a keen Catholic faithful perspective at the same time as addressing why we need to amp up the perspective on women and on men and the differences. You can find Casey and his work at CaseyChalk.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y, Chalk C-H-A-L-K.com. Thanks for being with us, Casey. Coming up in just a moment, issue one will be potentially a deciding factor for abortion laws across the nation. Mary Rose Short will join me to cover what's happening in Ohio, the upcoming vote for a constitutional amendment for unfettered access to abortion, cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, and so-called sex changes without parental notification, without parents having any idea if this is happening to their minor. By the way, of any age, there's no restriction here. So there's a lot you can do even if you don't live in the state of Ohio. Stay with me. Catholics are called to a no vote in Ohio. And if you can't listen now, please be sure to head over to the episode notes where I discuss issue one and what we can do now. I'll be right back here on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our toll-free line is 888-914-9149, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. Love to hear from you if you have a comment or question today. Pope Francis has called for us to pray, fast, and do penance for our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. Today, October 27th, as the Israel-Hamas war intensifies. In just two and a half weeks, over 1 million have been displaced and over 5,000 people have lost their lives. Please join Relevant Radio as we pray the Family Rosary Across America in just a few moments at 7 p.m. Central here on Relevant Radio. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray for us. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Joining me now is Mary Rose Short. She's the Regional Field Director for Volunteer Door Knocking. Right now in the state of Ohio, she packed up her bags from California, went to Ohio because she is joining Created Equal and leading the fight against issue one. Catholics are called to vote no on issue one. Issue one would ultimately lead to unfettered access to abortion through all nine months of woman's pregnancy, opening the door for funding for abortion. But not just that, without parents having any idea, any knowledge, any information, minors could go through with puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and even so-called sex changes. 
Other adults who aren't their parents could usher them into a transgender identity with literally mutilating their body with life-changing, unreversible medical procedures that, again, would damage their body. So join me to discuss this is Mary Rose Short. Mary Rose, this is the same exact constitutional amendment that was already passed in California, Michigan, and Vermont. People are looking to Ohio to see what will be the precedent for the rest of the nation. We are calling people to vote no on issue one, but people don't have to be only in the state of Ohio to help out. How is the campaign going? I know there's a little less than a week and a half left to go. Voting's already open. When is the last day to vote and how are things going? Well, thanks for having me, Timory. Um, November 7th is election day. And that's what we're seeing a lot of the doors is people are telling us they will wait until election day to vote. So something we need help with is phone banking, we need people to make calls, especially on election day, to remind all these people, reach these people, people we have confirmed will vote no, um, to make sure they actually get out and vote, because that is going to be what makes or breaks it, this election. We've seen um, there the yes side is losing momentum. We're managing to break through their lies a little bit, but there's still a large contingent of people that are undecided, and they will be the ones who who decide the election in addition to making sure we get our people out. Um, so anyone who would, anyone anywhere in the country or the world who would like to help uh, phone bank, if you go to createdequal.org slash issue one, you can sign up to help phone banking. And if you, if you start now, we're still reaching voters who are undecided. Um, you, you can just from anywhere, you don't need to go to any location. You can do it from home. You call, there's a script and you inform voters about some of the more extreme issues or elements of issue one. Um, and then you'll be all ready to go for election day to help us with that marathon all day, making sure we get out the vote. I'm asking you to set some time aside to help on issue one. You don't have to be in the state of Ohio to help. This is a key key battle there in Ohio. Again, people are looking at Ohio to set the precedence for the rest of the nation, because if this Midwestern state moves to make a constitutional amendment, people tend to think this is more normal, more common. This is what they should do. This is how they convinced people in Ireland to vote for in favor of killing their own babies, which, by the way, you were in Ireland during that vote as well, weren't you? Yes. And that's actually, I see some scary similarities with the Irish people. So many people thought Yes, they could vote to legalize abortion, but because they believed that Ireland was reasonable and moderate, they would get just a reasonable, moderate amount of abortion, they thought, just a little bit of abortion. Of course, now it's extreme. They're working on late-term abortions. They're working on fun, you know, abortion is funded, all of that. It's the same thing in Ohio. I see that people have this attitude of, well, we're not California. Mm -hmm. So they, they think that if they vote yes, they'll just get a little you know, nice Midwestern small amount of abortion. And they're, they're not understanding how this would wipe away every single regulation and restriction on abortion, because it not only gives a woman or a minor, you know, any individual a right to any reproductive decision, which are undefined. It also gives those who assist or provide those reproductive decisions, constitutional rights to provide them without regulation. So yeah. parental notification that Ohioans have passed, partial birth abortion ban that they have passed, um, clinic regulations, a waiting period, informed consent, all of that will be wiped away overnight. And yeah. I think Ohioans, it's similar to Ireland. They think we're reasonable people here. We can, we'll just end up with a little bit, you know, what they think of as reasonable Access. little bit of abortion. But, yeah. but 
it's it's completely false. They will turn themselves into California. And what's frightening, as you mentioned, a lot of people don't realize this, is that the medical standards are completely deregulated with what's been implemented in Michigan, California, and Vermont. I mean, it is unfettered access. No need for even a physician, a practicing physician, to perform abortions. I mean, these are such low, I was going to say standards of care. They are not standards of care. It's unfettered access to abortion, and it doesn't matter how you do it, how you hurt mom, because it's almost an automatic protection for a person. That's what was frightening about the uh, choice in California as well, because it, the open book is that you could even potentially kill your baby after birth. And both you as a mother who may have consented to that abortion, along with all the providers, have a free ticket if that's the case, if you're performing your fantasizing. And it is astounding. But something you said really kind of reminded me, you mentioned that This is fascinating that a lot of people in Ohio think that, well, you know, we want to leave the door open for access because we're Ohio. We're not California. We're the Midwestern state. You know, it's just we might have a little bit of abortion. Oh, my goodness. What is a little bit of abortion that's killing a baby? And I challenge you to reconsider that. But what stood out to me was that I remember when the transgender trend of a lot of young females coming out suddenly as transgender and groups of friends started to happen. I was talking to one of my friends who is a school teacher in Ohio. She teaches middle school age. And I was riveted. This was back in, oh goodness, maybe 2017. I had been sharing with her about the trend. She said, you know, that's interesting because we've been seeing this for the last five years, that suddenly young girls in groups are suddenly out of nowhere identifying as transgender. She said, it's not just California. I'm seeing it every single day in our schools. And I have never heard anyone talk about how this is happening here in our small towns in Ohio. And so what's frightening about that is the connection to the fact that this gives unfettered access to cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, and so-called sex changes without any parental involvement or knowledge whatsoever. Yes. And that's actually a, a way we found a lot of common ground with people who do support, again, what you know they consider a reasonable amount of abortion or even, even late-term abortion. But people will come to our side when they understand that this would give minors a constitutional right to have these unregulated, unrestricted reproductive decisions without parental notice. There was one woman, I went to her door, and uh, she's pretty clear she was a grandmother. Her young children were playing inside, and she told me that she was, she was, you know, supported a woman's right to choose, and so she thought she would vote yes, you know, if that's what this was about. And I told her, you know, that is one element of it, but there's another element that minors would have this right to reproductive decisions. And I pointed out that in this day and age, that includes transgender treatments of all kinds. And she did a complete 180 and and said she was going to vote no. And she just gave this really clear example of how kids are slaves to trends. And she was describing mm-hmm. her grandkids and, and the sneakers they needed to have and the clothes they just had to have because trends ruled their lives and she's saying with the transgender thing it's it's trendy and kids kids decide to have it even though it's not good for them and so to to remove them from their parents was just crazy so she became a no voter even though she supported abortion possibly even abortion through all nine months 
That's a great comment on the transgender trend that is happening right now. It is a trend. And even if you agree or disagree with it, we should not be messing with kids and transgenderism. That's fantastic to see that you're seeing hearts and minds change on a vote regarding issue one, not even because they necessarily agree on abortion, but because they see how radical and harmful this is. Mary Rose, share with me some of the good news in terms of the unification you're seeing in pro-life people coming together to fight this issue one in the state of Ohio. Yes, it is extremely inspiring to see the church is make taking a very bold stand. Every church I've been to, there's stuff in the bulletin every week. It's been in the week in, in the bulletin for weeks on end, like a whole series. Churches are giving out signs. There is so many national organizations involved. I see billboards, I see mailings. I'll go up to people's doors and I'll see in their mailbox already there's a mailing from another pro-life organization. So just the the unity is very inspiring and we're working in tandem with so many groups trying to educate um, voters. And then also just the volunteers are truly inspiring to see the dedication that people put together. There's a grandmother in her 70s, I know, just these are just the ones I know in my little region who goes out multiple times a week and has already knocked on over 450 doors. And there's a man who he told me like every time he goes out, that first door is so hard, but he goes out about four nights a week after work and he has hit over 800 doors in the last six weeks. And then even just tonight, I was out with one of my volunteer field coordinators. So in addition to knocking doors, he helps organize and train new volunteers. He has young children. One of his children has special needs, but he and his wife make the sacrifices so that he can go out almost every day of the week and knock on doors to defeat this. And he has hit over 1,100 doors. And they're not, they're not gaining anything from this on their own. It's just because it's what God has called them to do. And they're willing to make sacrifices to do it. Mary Rose, your story, the stories of some of these people who are stepping up and volunteering are incredibly admirable. It's overwhelming to hear the united fight of the pro-life movement and what we're up against right now. And, you know, it makes me emotional just thinking about the fact here we are yet again fighting over abortion state to state. We have just a week and a half to go in the state of Ohio. You can get involved even if you don't live there. I look at the sacrifice of yourself, Mary Rose, who's packed up your bags and moved to Ohio to help fight issue one. This man with a child who also has special needs, knocking over 1,100 doors. And this is incredible. Where can people go to get involved, learn more? Again, what is the number one thing that you're asking people across the nation to do? We need people to make phone calls. Even if you can't, if you're in Ohio, we need you to knock on doors. But if you can't knock on doors, making phone calls, you can have almost the same effect that we can have the face-to-face conversations. We find people still with so many questions. Even just tonight, I had people say, I am so confused. Can you tell me which way to vote? I had multiple people say that. And I wasn't going to tell them simply to vote no. I said, I I would like you to vote no and let me explain why. The same thing happens on the phone. So with phone banking. Um, so if you visit createdequal.org slash issue one, createdequal.org slash issue one, um, you can sign up to volunteer and specify whether you would like to help with phone banking or door knocking um, or donating because this is a really expensive project um, to defeat issue one. 
Thank you for everything you're doing, Mary Rose. We are called as Catholics to vote no on issue one that will give unfettered access to abortion, cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, so-called sex changes without any parental notification or consent for a child of any age. Vote no on issue one. That's information more in the episode notes for today's show or at createdequal.org forward slash issue one.